Hi, I'm Jonathan Balls, and you're listening to the Afternoon Adha at the Australia India Institute. Coal plants account for close to 60% of India's electricity generation capacity. Over the next two decades, India's electricity consumption is projected to rise dramatically. New coal power stations are planned. However, the arrival of cheap solar power and government support for renewables is bringing rapid change to how India gets its power. To discuss the future of India's electricity sector, I am joined by Professor Rangan Banerjee from the Indian Institute of Technology, Bombay, who is visiting Melbourne this week thanks to the Melbourne Energy Institute. Professor Banerjee, welcome. Thank you, Jonathan. Many analysts believe the only way for India to meet rising energy demand will be to build dozens of new coal-fired power stations, much like China did when it was developing in recent decades. What do you see happening? So we've seen over the last decade or so a very strong resurgence in uh, renewable energy. So we've had a lot of wind, but over the past five years, we've had government policies which have been incentivizing the uptake of solar energy. We have now seen solar prices really going down. We had initially, we had this reverse bidding where we started off by putting a cap and asking people to bid for large amounts of solar power. And we started seeing prices with 11 rupees per kilowatt hour, which is roughly about 20 uh, Australian cents per kilowatt hour. And that's been going down when recently we've got a bid at less than three rupees per kilowatt hour, which is five cents, five or six Australian cents per kilowatt hour, which is almost cost competitive with uh, coal. Uh, So we have the largest uh, single solar photovoltaic plant anywhere in the world in our country, which is more than 600 megawatts. And that's uh, in the southern state. So we, we see that we are going to still continue with coal but it's not going to grow at the rate at which it's been growing in the past. We're going to have much more of renewables. And the Indian government has made a commitment to have 175 gigawatts of renewable energy uh, till 2022. And that includes 100 gigawatts of solar, 65 gigawatts of wind, and 10 gigawatts of biomass. Uh, So the future is going to be much more of renewables. We're still going to have coal, but little less of it. That's really interesting. So as you were just uh, mentioning, in uh, Rajasthan a few weeks ago, they had a solar power plant in a reverse bidding process where the eventual tariff that was agreed would see solar power produced at a rate that will be cheaper than coal-fired power in India presently. I mean, can you say a little bit about to what extent you see solar power and other renewables being able to replace coal in the future? The way I see it, there is an enthusiasm because we're going to have much more of solar, but we also need to worry about the baseload. Um, because when we look at solar, and that's going to be available only during the sunshine hours. And because of that, since the load the load, if you look at the load curve, we have a large amount of our load in the evening hours and from 6 to 10 in the night. Uh, so the moment we get to 
the shares of solar and renewables going more than 15, 20, 25%, we have an issue and we need to see what is it that is going to be able to meet the base load. We also need to see that you have this, you know, the analysis which is called the California duck curve where you see that during the morning and the sunshine hours is when you the residual you actually have a lot of surplus electricity and you need to suddenly ramp up during the evening and the night hours. So it's going to be an interesting thing for the power system and we would need to still have the base load, whether that is coal or that is nuclear or it could be natural gas. And uh, as we go for higher and higher penetration of solar, we're going to go more than the 175 gigawatt target this is going to be the challenge and we'll have to see how to balance the renewables and how to adjust for the variability. And this is going to be not easier said than done because on a sense, when you look at an LCOE basis, uh, solar seems to be cost competitive, but it only has a small capacity factor of 20 or to, uh, around 20% while coal is dispatchable. So the true story is where we need to think in terms of cost-effective storage, we need to look at uh, pumped hydro, we need to look at demand response, and these are going to be the challenges as we go for um, uh, higher penetrations of uh, solar. So the way I see it is we go down in the future, we're going to have maybe one-third coming in from renewables and hydro, but we're still going to have a reasonable amount coming from coal, which may be about 40%. And that will mean that we will still need to build some more new coal-based power plants. So um, here in Australia, nearly every morning on the news, we hear concerns that renewables are causing disruption to the electricity grid. And recently we had blackouts in South Australia and certain politicians were blaming this upon um, renewables and there was a whole political fallout from that. What are the challenges that India's electricity network will face from having more solar power and renewables? Can you say a little bit more about that? The first challenge is we need to have better methods of forecasting and understanding what kind of variability is there in solar and wind. Uh, so that we can do the dispatch. Normally, whenever we plan a power system, we talk about uh, the hydrothermal scheduling. So we're looking at scheduling the hydro plants and the thermal plants. We need to think in terms of methods to do hydrothermal solar wind scheduling. And this means that there's a challenge for the researchers, but we also need to keep within the system certain low, certain generators that can be quickly brought online. And this would mean that these generators may not be used all the time, but this would also add to the costs. Uh, so it's going to be a more interesting, uh, it's not just about putting in generation into your grid, but looking at the flexibility and the variability and the capability of the grid to be able to meet uh, sudden variations in the load or in the supply. We've been only looking at uh, the variations in the load so far, but we now need to have, we'll have a system where supply variability will need to be planned for. So this is something where uh, when we talk about some incremental changes, but we knew when the system goes to a state where you're going to have more and more renewables, it's a completely different grid. And we need to 
plan for that grid. We need to have different kinds of elements which are there in the grid, which ensures that we also have reliability of the supply. One of the things that was really striking to me in your um, talk earlier today was that you showed this graph looking at renewable generation according to different types of renewables, whether solar power or wind or biomass, and how there's seasonal um, variability throughout the year. So that wind tends to only produce power during monsoon season when the wind's blowing very, when there's a lot of wind blowing. And that solar power tends to be producing a lot of energy outside of the monsoon period. Um, I was just interested to hear a little bit more from you about how much of a problem that is, or is wind and solar power quite complementary in terms of when the wind's blowing and the sun isn't shining, and vice versa? Uh, so, you know, the Indian wind is a little different from the European and probably the Australian wind, is that it's a highly seasonal. Uh, wind regime. So that means we get most of the power supply during four months of the year. And we had this problem in Tamil Nadu, which is a southern state, which has a significant amount of wind capacity. Uh, so there are uh, there are months where wind produces a very significant amount of the generation, but then there are other months where that generation is not available. So you have these other plants, which are the coal-based plants, which come online during these other months, but then they have to be back down during the time when you have the high wind. Um, so the question that you ask in terms of wind and solar, having the uh, there's a complementarity, but the seasonal effect of wind is something which has to be offset by something else, and that's not going to be done by solar alone. Uh, solar doesn't have this problem of the seasonality that much, but solar has a problem uh, in terms of the daily variation. And then we are talking of most of that generation only happening during the, all of that generation coming in only during the sunshine hours. And uh, that would mean that uh, we need to then ramp up and meet something else for the evening and the night. So for that kind of seasonal um, variability when the wind isn't blowing or the sun isn't shining or for those evening night periods, for the foreseeable future, coal is going to have to be the best option for... Um, generating electricity in India, it sounds like, from what you're saying. Well, it's going to be coal or it could be uh, natural gas. It could be uh, potentially some of the hydro, though hydro hasn't been growing that significantly. We could think in terms of nuclear for the base load, but uh, I think uh, it's going to be a mix of all, but uh, coal is going to be there to stay in the foreseeable future. Depending on what estimates you take, there are still between 200 and 400 million Indian people without access to electricity, mainly in rural areas. What steps are being taken by the government of India to reach those people? So we have this uh, scheme you know, where we are looking at 100% uh, village electrification. Uh, the second thing that we have is it's not sufficient just to get the grid to the village, but you need to then have... Uh, households connecting up to the grid. And for that, we have baseline tariffs. And we also have schemes in various states where you have uh, a small a small load, a light and a fan load being connected for a lower price. Um, so basically, the idea is to create um, 
a tariff where at the lowest end you have a very you're paying a very small amount and but the key thing in this is to have uh, affordable access and uh, if that access results in improving the economic condition of the household then it's more likely that people will uh, take that access so how successful do you think that these um, measures have been to date you mentioned having lower tariffs for lower income uh, people in order to make it more possible for them to afford to join the grid is that a fairly successful approach it's been mixed i think uh, there've been many villages where the grid is there but there are many households which are not connected to the grid there are many ngos and many off grid schemes where people have gone a, uh, gone ahead with uh solar home lighting systems there are uh, companies of uh, like husk power and uh, desi power which have gone in with uh, biomass gasifier engine uh, systems where they have small microgrids and they have 4r and 6r grids and so it's been a combination of a variety of things and uh, electricity is can be an enabler but it's not the only um it's not the only thing which people use to decide so it's it's got to be linked with the development profile of that region so you just mentioned the example of husk power and a couple of other companies who are working on microgrids and i know that you've done you yourself have done some research on small scale generation of electricity locally what do you think is the potential of rural villages being powered by small solar powered microgrids or um other forms of energy locally produced technically that's very much feasible uh, the issue is all about the capital cost and the cost of supply and uh, the moment you have a 4r or a 6r grid and you don't have a base load uh, the price of the electricity that you supply goes up very significantly so if the grid comes to that place th- these microgrids are not able to compete with the grid prices so it needs an initial capital subsidy or it needs government support in order to, for them to sustain the only places where that can be where you can get around this is where you have a business model where this links up to providing some productive output and then people can actually generate the income so that it, you get reliable power supply and there have been uh for profits like selco or which is in the southern states which has actually made sure that uh, they have a model where they're extending the uh, amount of output by local village industries and so they are able to pay for that power so i think this is there's a scope for innovation and that innovation need not only be in technology it could be in business models it could be in the way in it, which is financing but currently our policy seems to be more in terms of centralized large grids and um, having the entire country connected to the grid uh, despite that i think there will be a role for distributed and uh, grid connected uh, small systems renewables coming into the so i guess in the in the post independence decades um gandhi was very well known for his kind of ideal vision of having self-sufficient villages i mean is there any prospects that we'll have 21st century gandhian villages but with smart technology being the way that these can be possible 
it's possible but it's not the way we are going today <laughs> it's a completely interlinked kind of world and uh, we we are looking at now uh, smart cities and uh, there is a lot of migration from villages to the cities the question is can we get have uh, villages with city quality of life and city quality of and um we have to wait and see these models do not completely exist there are some demonstrations and pilots but nothing nothing has scaled plans for the adani group to develop a large coal mine in queensland are being pushed forward currently to supply india with cheap coal over the coming decades how important are coal imports from mines outside of india for india's future so in the last Five years or so, the imports of coal have been growing, and the reason for this is we we've, we've had this policy where we've had these ultra mega power projects, large pro large projects, four thousand, five thousand megawatts at one location, and uh, the Indian coal that we have is um, low sulfur, high ash coal with a lower calorific value. So many of these uh, industries have been uh, these plants have been. preferring to import coal from indonesia or from australia and get it at the coast with higher calorific value and then they operate their plants with slightly higher efficiencies um some of these plants have had problems uh, for instance there was a plant in mundra where the indonesian coal prices increased because of some government policy changes and then they tried to get to the regulator to try and get that passed through and then they had some issues related to this so the the adani plant is one is a way of trying to secure uh, coal prices at a particular price um i don't want to get into the politics politics of it or the justification of it that the australian the local people and the government have to decide whether or not you want to give the kind of resources and the water but the we do we will be needing additional amounts of coal whether that will come from imports or locally uh, will depend on what kind of what are the relative prices and um, so we can uh, it, it from an indian point of view uh, we would rather like to have energy security and if that can be done with uh, uh, indian coal that's of course preferable but increasingly we have been relying on imports we've been importing uranium from australia we've been importing coal from indonesia australia we of course import a lot of oil and uh, renewables gives us the other interesting thing is we are now importing uh, pv uh, modules and uh, from china mostly so we we do want to see a future where we have our own technology and we rely on our own resources but in the short run we may be reliant on imports you mentioned the um example that india imports a lot of pv panels and actually in your talk earlier today somebody also asked um about this issue and whether within india there is any um innovation taking place or whether uh companies are developing new solar power technologies or are becoming competitive or likely to be competitive in the coming years i mean can you say a little bit about what it, india's indigenous pv solar power m- market is like and what kind of manufacturers and uh research and development is see in that sector so we've 
had PV cell manufacturing and module manufacturing in India even before the solar mission. And we used to actually export a lot of the modules which used to go to Germany. Uh, during our solar mission, we had investments in increasing some of these capacities. However, the way in which the mission has been structured is that we've been uh, asking for global bids and uh, the bids are based on the price at which you are able to guarantee uh, the um, PV plants and somehow we have not been able to compete in that. And uh, so uh, we, we don't have, I mean, it's not that we have some cutting edge uh, research and development, but we do have the manufacturing capability. Uh, we, um, it's a short term versus long term thing. So in the short term, we are looking at scaling the market and uh, increasing deployment. But in the long term, we need to develop our capability and ensure that uh, we are able to, in the future, supply our own modules and panels in the business as usual case, I don't think that's happening. We've heard a lot about Make in India over the last few years. Is um, solar power one of the key areas where the government of India is looking to support and to encourage um, manufacturers in India to produce? Uh, that is part of the stated intent. It's not been happening that much on the ground yet. So the government of India recently launched a new program to support the country's public electricity distribution companies, which have been financially struggling and running up very large debts over recent years. Can you give a bit of an update on this program and how it's going and how important it is in terms of the sustainability of the electricity sector in India in the coming years? So in the electricity sector, uh, we have actually... Most of our electricity is being sub. We have distribution companies. Most of them are public sector companies. And today, uh, for every unit of electricity that we sell, we are actually making a loss of about 80 to 90 paisa per kilowatt hour. And there is a lot of accumulated debt. And uh, the Uday scheme, which has been proposed by the government, is a mechanism to try and uh, attack this problem. Uh, the way it's being done is they're being incentivized so that they can reduce the distribution companies can reduce their costs and reduce their losses. Um, some of the debt is being restructured and being picked up by the government at lower interest rates. So that that is something which would help in terms of reducing the cost. Uh, we've had in the past several other schemes called the APDRP. Uh, where we've been trying to move the distribution companies uh, to reducing their losses, improving their efficiency. They've been working, but there's no magic bullet. And uh, I'm not sure if this is... There are systemic issues in terms of uh, we've been having... We have a baseline tariff and we have a large number of people on the baseline tariff. We also have lower prices for agriculture. We have a lot of... Uh, commercial losses or theft in the system. So there's a lot of issues related to system operation and management. And uh, this is not something which has very quick short-term solutions, but it's a step in the right direction. So it will remain to be seen over the next yes. two to three years yes. what the outcome is. Yes. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks.